Hello everyone, Lee Henson here, President and Founder of Agile Dad, and welcome to today's edition of The Daily Stand-Up. Without any further ado, let's get started. Many people contact me and ask me, uh, one of the top things I get requests for is to help their organization or company better understand technical debt and how to deal with it. In today's session, we're going to briefly discuss the seven deadly sins of technical debt and give you a way that you can contact us to get more information and to learn more about what you can do to conquer debt within your company. The first of the seven deadly sins is dealing with unintended features or gold plating. What we've discovered is a lot of times when we go into companies, the product owner or the senior leadership has a very specific request for what they're asking for. They just need a simple solution that's going to solve a simple problem or maybe even a complex problem. But in most organizations, sometimes we'll just say developers like to take creative liberty and like to create things that are a little outside of the scope of what's happening. In the example I like to give, it would be the same as if I went shopping for a Fiat and upon delivery, someone delivered a Ferrari. Now, while I'd be very pleased and happy to have a Ferrari instead of a Fiat, a Fiat, especially for the same price, I would also be very disheartened or disappointed because that would mean from this point forward that I would have to pay for maintenance on that Ferrari where an oil change could be several thousand dollars. Just probably not a good idea, not good form. We want to make sure that we understand what features are being requested, and we want to make sure that we're not gold plating. We want to make sure that we're building things to the needs, to the specification, but that we're also using common sense, because oftentimes there's a better solution to something. It's not saying you should look past a better solution. It's just saying if you have a choice to do what makes sense and to do what feels right, because in most cases that's going to be the right thing. The second of the seven deadly sins is poorly designed architecture. Um, I often refer to an example from The Wizard of Oz where we talk about the scarecrow. And uh, poorly designed architecture in some cases is called scarecrow architecture. Now there's three things about scarecrow that the witch really loved. One is anytime he moved around or danced or tried to play with his friends, he was always having to be filled with more stuff, meaning that it was so unstable that the architecture would constantly need to be you know, added to. It would become bloated and overweight. The second thing is that he burned real easy. Uh, what we find is that people who use scarecrow architecture are oftentimes finding themselves getting burned, that they're not getting the delivery they expected, or that uh, the architecture just isn't stable. It doesn't have a good infrastructure, and it's just not prepared in a way that it can be expanded upon. And then third, you know, the, the scarecrow had no brain. And I think that when we make brainless decisions and pointless decisions regarding architecture and infrastructure, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for us to end up with something really bad. So my point here is we should try to avoid scarecrow architecture and focus our attention on the architecture as designed. The third is lack of product backlog management or inappropriate visibility. Now this one's interesting. I've been in lots of organizations where product owners have tens of thousands of items in a backlog. And uh, what they don't understand is that many times this is setting real, unrealistic expectations for leadership and for others, you know, especially those in sales who are rewarded for promoting those upcoming features, that all of these features are going to be completed and all of these things are going to come to pass, when in actuality that's not true. What we find is organizations that are most successful have good control of their backlog, and they allow the product owner to maintain a product owner backlog that has all the ideas, whims, wishes, and things that they hope to see in future generations of the product, but that the product backlog is laser focused and it has all the things we're working on now and maybe some things that are in an upcoming release. We just want to make sure that we don't end up with backlog rot or with a bloated backlog. We want to make sure that we have appropriate visibility into the backlog and that the right folks are looking at the backlog and helping manage it, that a team of analysts can support the product owner in making those decisions. 
The next one is outdated defects and bugs. Now this one sounds kind of crazy because you know you often say outdated defects and bugs. How old should the oldest defect be? The truth is if it's not something you're working on on a current sprint or it's not something that's slated for next sprint, it probably shouldn't be in your list at all. We need to find a way to clear that defect queue out and clean it up. It doesn't mean you get rid of these. Sometimes it's better just to archive those, uh, to set them with a uh, to set them with a, a detailed uh, status that's known but not resolved. And that way if the issue does come up again, we can unarchive the issue and make sure we address it. But many times we don't account for customer workarounds or for inadvertently fixing something when you know we're inside fixing something else. I think the goal here is just not to let defects last so long that they become completely outdated in the system. The next is lack of automated testing. Now when it comes to unit testing, obviously we should get as much of that automated as we can. But when it comes to regression testing, we should be very thoughtful and smart about which tests we automate. Not every test requires automation, but Agile without test automation is dead. So you need to find that balance and make sure that if, if something can't be automate, automated, maybe you're doing test optimization where you're making critical decisions about whether this is a run once or run often test and how are you setting up testing harnesses and uh, setting up your materials in such a way that you can do solid regression testing and acceptance based or acceptance test based testing. You know, there's lots of different things you can do to help, you know, automate that and make it run a lot smoother so that the team can continue to press forward writing good code, which leads me to number six, which is a lack of strong coding or testing standards. We want to make sure that, you know, the developers understand that while we're not requiring them to write heavyweight documentation, we still hope that they'll maintain a strong coding standard that classes and other things that they're writing appear very seamless and that any other developer could look at those and see, ah, this is what we're working on. That work is easily transferable and that we're not creating silos. The goal here is to create T-shaped individuals who could look at each other's work and strongly understand. The other piece is we want to start getting to the point where we get rid of the separation between development and testing. Yes, we have people who are stronger at testing and people who are stronger at development, but the truth is when we get to the point where we blur those lines and we have developers who are comfortable testing and we have testers that really can uh, write some code, what we end up finding is that these T-shaped individuals generally perform a lot better and that we end up with stronger standards and just a lot better product or service. And then finally, the lack of refactoring. I know in organizations this might seem kind of crazy, but my rule is never should anything leave the door without more than one set of eyes looking at it. We want to make certain that we have strong peer reviews, that we do uh, pair programming or mob programming, that we have testing and hackathons, and that we, we go through the motions to make sure that we're doing all we can to make sure that the end product that we're producing for our consumers is a good one. Now, as promised, if you visit AgileDad.com in the download section, we have a comic book that covers the seven deadly sins of technical debt, along with a few others. And I encourage you strongly to download that as it gives you more information, gives you a lot more detail than what we might have covered here in a short daily standup. But it'll be a, a priceless tool that you can use later to introduce to others and to introduce the concept of a technical debt sprint, you know, so that you can get these things done in a single sprint per quarter instead of trying to delineate and divvy it up over time over multiple sprints and trying to allocate a percentage of someone's time. It just winds up becoming a, bit, a big old mess if you don't wind up just focusing and, and getting it done. So uh, my message here is download the document, make sure that you understand the concept of a technical debt sprint, and if you have any other questions, make sure you reach out to us. We can re you can reach us, obviously, on AgileDad.com. We're at AgileDad on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. There's lots of ways to reach out to us. And I want to emphasize that this isn't just to set up or schedule classes or to have you come to a session. 
This is to ask us questions and to get the feedback that you need in order to help your company be successful. I hope this was useful to you. And if you have anything else, like I said, please feel free to visit us. Uh, And if you did enjoy this podcast or if you enjoy this podcast series, please remember to go ahead and leave us some comments, leave us some feedback, and make sure you rate us so that we can continue to do the series. Thanks a bunch. This is Lee Henson signing off. Stay well, stay agile, and uh, take care. Until next time, we'll see you.